1: Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, Aaron's back. We talk about the House of the Dragon premiere that we both attended. No spoilers, so don't worry about that. Then philosopher slash theologian Trip Fuller joins me to talk about Tyrion's final POV chapter. If you're looking for my conversation with Steve about Season 8 or you'd like to hear Steve and I talk about the House of the Dragon premiere, do a search for Double Dragon. There's a little button on your iPhone that looks like a magnifying glass. Just touch that little magnifying glass and type in Double Dragon. You get to hear Steve complete his journey through Game of Thrones, and you could hear us cover House of the Dragon episode by episode. All right, here is Bosmang Aeron. We didn't see each other much at the premiere, kind of want to hear your experience of it
0: yeah i um i was because i was trying to think because i knew i wouldn't be able to say much about it right so on the way to the thing i was like okay i'm gonna have like four basic reactions the the first and best would be this is amazing it's one of the best premieres i've ever seen yeah up there with breaking bad leftovers the original game of thrones Two would be this is a good pilot that's going to successfully rope any disaffected Game of Thrones fans that might have been inclined to try to give Westeros another shot. Yeah. Three, it'd be mildly disappointing, but, like, maybe not a disaster. Four, it's a complete garbage fire.
1: Sure.
0: <laughs> I, I think it's definitely the second reaction, which is this is a good, solid pilot. Yeah. It's not, um, man, I don't want to say it's not flat. It, it's, it's in between the first and second it doesn't quite get to the highs of like, Oh my God, I got, but it definitely, if you feel raw about the way game of Thrones ended, and I don't know. A lot of people do mm-hmm. I'm in that camp. I think this is definitely going to, I can't imagine a person, a fair minded person watches this episode and you know, like, fuck it. I'm out. Mm-hmm. No, nah, sure. Trash. I don't want to see anymore. I don't want to give it a season. I, I think people are definitely going to be locked in. What do you think?
1: Well, I think it's interesting. I think, when we talked immediately after seeing it, I was kind of like cautiously optimistic and I kind of felt like both you and Steve were like, oh, no, that was that was impressive. I I, I think your visceral reaction after this was that was
0: really good. And
1: I so,
0: was I was surprised. I was actually thinking it was going to be closer between two and three. You were, you were bracing yourself. I was bracing myself for like, you know. Well, you know, there's some uh-huh. flashes of good stuff, but there's also uh-huh. like even the, you know, like the Game of Thrones pilot. If you go back and rewatch it, I was just gonna say that cheap looking.
1: Yeah, it it was and- a little hokey at times. It was, you know, it was definitely enough to to hook you in. But if you compare, also- if like even if you compare like the third or the fourth episode to that pilot, the pilot does seem like it it doesn't quite have its tone yet no this this seems like it knows its tone and this is a grown-up show that knows what it's doing
0: I I think it's that's the thing it's like I want to say it's a stronger pilot but the thing is is it doesn't have like brand getting thrown out of the window you know <laughs> like,
1: like spoilers it does not have brand getting thrown out of the window
0: it doesn't have that kind of like oh my god this is this is redefined really because like the uh, thing is, is you know exact like you have expectations like uh-huh. game of thrones is going to have sex it's going to have violence it's going to have betrayals mm-hmm. like we know what this shape is and we know what uh-huh. it's like we know what martin's tricks are so and then there's not that there's no surprises yeah no it's there just, are, yeah no, i think like that it's like, oh, my God, I don't usually watch TV like this.
1: I think that I tend to agree with you that – well, when I was watching this, I was a little bit worried, cautious early on, and then there was a – podcast the podcaster
0: brain now. Yeah, right, right.
1: <laughs> so then, then there was a scene, and I think we could talk more about this in a couple months or in a month or so, but – Yeah. There was a scene – that was just amazing. I was the same way. And I was thinking, wow, wow. I I'm, I'm I'm impressed.
0: In fact, from that scene forward, I was just locked into the uh-huh. episode That's and had, had the the podcaster brain had kind of turned off. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs>
1: That's it. I do want to talk a little bit about expectations because there's a sense in which like if you're like me, you're not like, you know, used to Hollywood events, you know. So there's a sense in which because we were invited to this event, we would be way too built up for it. And so the event itself would, would kind of overshadow the episode. The other way you could look at it is you're thinking, mm, I I, I think this is probably g- not going to be great. And so I'm going to be happily surprised yeah. if it is good. It
0: sounds like you're kind of in the second camp. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was going to say that, like, I my expectations are pretty low until I saw that latest trailer. And then I'm like, this actually looks pretty hot. And I think the core, like, the core fire, the the dance, uh, the dance of dragons core, uh, fire and blood material is good. It's just really dry. Mm -hmm. And this, especially when I saw. Like uh, several sentences and I can't, I'd really love to give an exact fucking example, but like, uh, you know, like, like a couple of sentences on the C uh, on the page brought the life yeah. and, and not just brought the life, but there's the emotion. Like they are elaborating on a lot of things like you, um, uh, it, it's, it's, uh. It's like if you if you heard that the, you know, Jamie Lannister was the king kingslayer because he killed his liege lord. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the, all of the realm sees him as a bastard. Now if you read that like three lines in a history of Westeros, you'd be like, "Ah, oh, Jamie sounds like a real shit." But like <laughs> right. by the third season of Game of Thrones, you don't like that that those three sentences have yeah. come to life and they mean something different to you. Yeah. And I think there was two or three instances in this episode where you know something happens in the book and it's like a factual thing but now we see the characters embodied by very talented actors because i think all the acting was like top shelf in this episode absolutely yeah uh there's a lot of really i think good there's some some crowd-pleasing lines uh some some badass lines Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i thought that like so like my expectations were neutral to positive and i was going to say it exceeded them. I actually was came out here thinking it was going to be like a two, to, you know, I, I was going to have to be like, well, it's just the first episode and keep in mind and they got to do a lot of, they got a lot. I, I actually thought comparing to the original Game of Thrones pilot, which just piled characters and locations yep. and settings and stuff, like I felt like this was a lot more accessible because we already know kind of who, what Westeros is about. Yeah, It's a smaller, more intimate kind of setting because it's like all about the Targaryen family kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, well, this is not like who the hell is dead and (laughs) why do we care? And who are these people? Oh, my God. They're brothers and sisters. Oh, they're fucking. And they're like they're, they're it's it feels a little bit more easy to follow, too.
1: It does. And the other thing that this episode does is it really establishes a baseline for just how complex these family dynamics are. There were a couple elements there were a couple scenes where you're like. That guy is just killing it. That guy is... I will watch every scene with this character in. I am, like, riveted to the screen. I can't wait to see ten episodes of that guy doing Westerosi stuff all over the place. I I, I think there's at least a couple characters for me that, like, I will watch the show just to watch that character fly
0: around Westeros, you know. I'm going to throw one out there. Matt Smith amazing i had that was the one that i was the most worried about because yeah. every time i see him he's in a tweed jacket with a bow tie and a d- dorky haircut and he's holding a hydro spanner yeah hyper yeah. spanner whatever the hell the doctor who shit is mm-hmm. you know and every time like you know even in the latest trailer like it just wasn't coming together like, I did because this guy's supposed to be. He's just rogue. Mm-hmm. He's this badass. He's a skilled swordsman. He's he he's he's a, a real shit, but also there's something about him magnetic and crit. Mm-hmm. And like, I wasn't thinking Matt Smith. He fucking nailed it, man. He yeah, was, a, he was he's a beast in this episode and he does everything that he needed to to exactly encapsulate what his character is supposed to be as Prince Damon.
1: Absolutely. I was thinking immediately, I was thinking, I th- I think that Jim and Aaron have to include a little Damon Targaryen in the badass podcast.
0: That's a, a good 60 minute body of work if you're wanting to get a, to put a badass statement out. Let me out just
1: there. say as far in terms of introducing a character into a narrative the way that he's introduced, the way that that scene is set the lighting of it all of that stuff i would man i just thought i i'm in i'm in i'm this is what i was wanting you know i was sort of like all my expectations you know were, were heightened at that moment so i can't wait and to and i'll say
0: this too like when we talked about in terms of production value and and the uh how, the, how cheap the game of thrones pilot yeah none of this applies the production design mm-hmm. i think the Guard looks better than at the height of game of thrones series sure. i think gold cloaks look better than i've ever seen them look and i think that the locate king's landing looks amazing the dragons oh my god like you know i there there is some sketchy dragon work in the middle parts of uh game of thrones i think these things are rock solid of course in the prime of their life uh it's it, it just it's just in the, the the different locations as we go around you see them all in the trailer I, i'm kind of want to talk about it, like, I'm, I'm trying to avoid everything, but it's mm-hmm. like, shit like King's Landing, which of course, mm-hmm. but like all the different locations and stuff also look rock solid and just everybody is just nailing it. Like Patty was the mm-hmm. um, is surprising uh from what i've seen i thought that uh uh, well first of all i didn't think we'd see a lot of them and there's 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 a lot of them steve tessant as a chorus for for larian and his -hmm. wife the queen that never was like those like are very interesting characters fully realized like just you know it's and and you can see and that's the thing i also also like i kind of thought that i would and and maybe i will later in the season have clear rooting interests because reading in fire and blood i'm like i'm not sure which of these assholes i want to win yeah. Um <laughs> well, I, I, that's right. I, I I I thought that I'd come away like thinking clearly like in, you know, cuz you get in the end of episode 1 of Game of Thrones like Starks are Bay, mm-hmm. uh, Lannisters yeah. shit and that's yeah, like what thing you I don't know. Like I'm really like I I'm, I'm sympathetic to everyone in the early goings of the show.
1: I was going to say the Almost opposite. That. I was going to say every <laughs> single person in this show is capable of betrayal is capable of chicanery
0: sure but you know. that doesn't that doesn't mean they can't be my favorite game of thrones characters. <laughs> sure you know?
1: yeah right 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 hey uh what was your what was your feeling of the after party i thought it was i thought it was a lot of fun
0: it was a lot of fun i will say this too that like um i've been on places where it's like a true junket yeah, and they're trying to just wow you with like you know all the thing you know the swag bag and this and that this was not that this was them this was a pretty you know modest affair by hollywood standards is intimate like i think there was maybe what 300 people including cast and crew
1: oh no uh, it was a lot more that, that like the
0: maximum capacity of that venue is a thousand wait no what what the theater yeah because like i According to Dave Chin, that the, that theater's capacity was like 350. So they have two theaters. Uh huh.
1: And one is green and one is red. And we went into the red theater. That holds a thousand people. And that holds a thousand. I was thinking that after party was at least 500 people.
0: Oh, maybe. Well, it's, it's, then that's it's you're probably because I was just ga- gauging on the theater, which was not full. And that's something that I got from uh, you know Kim and uh, Kim yeah. Renfrew, David Chin. were they did one, they got one turnaround faster than we did. And you know, she was saying that like the theater, like compared to season eight where they had the Radio City Music Hall, the whole stadium right, was right. jam packed. This was like the however many five hundred. Well, if you
1: were gonna, I mean, I yeah. guess Kim would would be the the better reporter, right? So I'm, I was just I was just going from the website to see how what the maximum capacity
0: was. Well, they probably just, thought, just saw the wrong theater because sure. he wasn't there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, um, we were in the red one. I thought number one, like when we when they sort of seated us. We were kind of like in an angle near the front, and I was like, oh, these are kind of crappy seats. But then, like, it was a great – like, the the screen kind of, like, had that concave effect – the ends were coming a little bit out. So the the middle of the screen was kind of pushed back. It was really impressive. I mean, I felt like
0: beautiful screen. I was seven or eight rows back right in the center. So I had like, you know, like Matt Smith was towering and uh, it, it, I thought it was, it was a beautiful theater. Great sound.
1: All right. So let me ask you this. All right. So you, you're having this experience where you're watching these actors on screen and knowing that those people are sitting five rows behind you, yeah. Uh, what I mean, that's a little weird,
0: isn't it? It was, but like I, I, I don't know. I don't feel like, um, like I said, I've I definitely felt where people were trying to get me to like something and give you know. Yeah. But if it, sure. that's the case, like you know, everybody gets a dragon egg and uh, mm-hmm. Targaryen t-shirts, and here's a poster, mm-hmm. and now we get shit. We got. We got a uh uh a, a, a Ziploc bag that we put our cell phones in. And in the they were really
1: really talking but, up the
0: Ziploc bag too. <laughs> but the I gotta say that it was like in the after party was really cool that like uh you know I'm there at the bar, I'm like, oh shit, there's Elon Musk, there's Matt Smith, there's Patty Constant. Constantine Tone? Uh Constant I can't pronounce that guy's name. I want to say Constantine every time, and I know that's I, not I, her, her. I
1: her. I say Constantine and I know it's Constantine. Maybe it is. And, Constantine. Okay. Yeah, but I, I just um, it, like it doesn't
0: matter. <laughs> Kimi Darcy, is that her? The mm-hmm. older Rhaenyra. She's th- th- so they're like a lot. Al- almost all the big name cast were there. Yeah, yeah. Uh Ryan Condal, Miguel Sapochnik, the showrunners. There, uh George Martin himself would have been there had it not been for COVID. uh Him contracting COVID at San Diego Comic Con, which is a bummer. And they were all just kind of set, like you could, uh, you know, we're not supposed to take photos of them, although they did. Uh, Matt Smith volunteered to take a selfie towards the end of the night with our producer. Um, but they were all very accessible and it was easy yeah. to walk up and say hi. The, the highlight of me, though, because like I, I honestly could give two shits about stars. Like yeah. I, I'm glad they're doing what they're doing, but I don't get a visceral thrill. I, there's some people that I do because I really like their work but like you know um i really like talking to my old podcast buddies i just pre- pretty much talked to joanna and kim and uh kim, kim's husband mike and uh um uh, mallory and uh jason from sure. the old binge mode podcast they've uh, s- split and gone their separate ways but they were all there and everybody's like that's the thing about the podcast community is like there's a lot of love there a lot of support um yeah it was good to meet of... kim for the first time like i i you know i've interviewed her a couple
1: times but uh never in person so that was really nice i got to uh, um see uh, david peterson uh yeah. famous linguist who invented the sure. fake
0: languages uh so well, he was there there okay cool i'm glad you guys got the i, I noticed there was some stank put on some of those those uh, valerian phrases uh, yeah,
1: I was emailing him
0: afterwards, and I was like, "I I noticed that some of these characters
1: are pronouncing their words a little bit differently than Danny did." Classic
0: Targaryen phrases. That's right. A little bit different. Of course, it's yes, you know, yes. you played if you played back stuff from Colonial America, it mm-hmm. would sound a lot different than nowadays. And it's it is 170 some years before. The the classic. That's game right. Time. So, I thought that that know. was
1: really interesting because like he, he emailed me back. He's like, "Yep, you know, whenever you see an R in High Valerian, it ought to be rolled." And so if it's not rolled, that means that Rest. character is mispronouncing it. And I thought, this is this this adds a little bit Rest. of intrigue because now I got a little bit uh, more insight to Danny's. You know, Danny's
0: not quite. Uh,
1: she doesn't a, quite have a handle on her own history you know?
0: and why would she right yeah um i will say that that like already there's also i mean you can't say a lot but there's already them filling in the history of westeros in a very what i think is a very satisfying way and, and in a way that seems already to piss off the book readers because i was seeing <laughs> yeah there's I, gonna I'll be a bit there. of controversy some, some of my tweets yeah. uh, launched triple digit lore threads on Uh, A song, uh, A S I O, (laughs) which Kim let me know is is the proper pronunciation of that is ASWAF. So I'm going to be referring to the A Song of Ice and Fire acronym as ASWAF. And R slash ASWAF, R slash Game of Thrones. And and there's a. I don't know. This
1: has an explicit rating, but I don't know if you're allowed to say that.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: there's like a um, level above explicit. Well, gonna, let me and
0: check I... with one of the bald move executive producers. Right. Oh, actually, they're giving me the thumbs up, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. he, the, um, what was I saying? You de- derailed me. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's book fans seething that George Martin is using this tool, and he obviously is, this these shows, as a way to build his universe that is running, in many cases, ahead of the books at this point. He's like doing new things. How could they be upset? Like this is clearly yeah.
1: what he. This is what he's been doing for a long time.
0: Yeah, ever since he inked the deal with HBO. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I don't under. I mean, if you are
1: listening to this and you are upset private. about that, let me tell you how it, this works. George figured out a long time ago that he's a producer of content. At this point, he's so much more than an author. You just have to either accept that or walk away. I, I don't see that there's any other options here.
0: I think there's just a lot of anger at George not finishing the books. I think there's a lot of anger about how the last time a show ran ahead of his written material, it was perceived as a bad thing. I just think there's a lot of like, and I I think, again, to be fair, justified trepidation about um, a new show that's based on, you know, more. Mm -hmm. I I, I guess there's... um, the, the, it's, it's not just fire and blood there's like what there's two other sh- novellas uh to, 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 I, I forget exactly what it is uh that, that that detail a little bit more of this history um
1: yeah there's the rogue yeah. prince
0: and then there's That's the princess it. and the queen right Princess and the queen those are the ones i was thinking of and I, I think that i can understand if i'm a book reader who feels like they've been abandoned by george that there's mm-hmm. a little bit of jealousy that he's playing with his new toys and he's forgotten about us yeah well, uh, I don't get the not, sense that he. I mean, aside from like looking over the scripts
1: and you know giving a thumbs up, according to Kim, what Kim told me was,
0: it's not like he's actively writing for the the show. No, but he is definitely giving them ideas and blessing ideas and saying, "Hey, I've since thought this, and they're they're right." They're they're yeah. no, I don't think he. I don't think he'll be credited as a script, but like he is very involved with the, the history and the lore building.
1: Yeah, um, and if that's the case, then there's no... I don't have any problem
0: with viewing this as an expansion of canon. It's just... I just want it to be good. I just wanted. want it to start strong, have a good middle, and finish satisfyingly in two, three, four seasons, and us all... Think that like this was a good solid uh, Game of Thrones project, and by all accounts, by my own two eyeballs, if 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 this is big if, yeah. if the entire season is this quality and better, the and uh, or at least this quality, then I think the vast majority of fans that have decided to come back are going to be pleased because it does feel like Game of Thrones. Yeah, it I think. Yeah, on,
1: I on think that record. if you are willing to give this episode a look, and you're willing to sit through the end of it, I my sense is that you are going to be willing to watch more like, this is not going to turn you away there, there's no. at least a couple elements of this that I think will be thrilling and at least a couple characters that you think yeah I'll watch I'll watch more of that character That, that,
0: no, that I, this person I, okay. is
1: intriguing to me
0: I totally agree
2: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear? check breakfast, lunch and dinner? check
1: And now, Dr. Trip Fuller helps me cover the final POV chapter in the first book from Tyrion. This conversation picks up as he and I are discussing the upcoming adaptation of Tolkien's work, Rings of Power. Okay, here is Trip Fuller. I mean, here's what I'll do I'm going to go into this, I'm going to feel a certain amount of anxiety about it. Yeah. I probably will give it a few episodes and I think that I will be able to sort of step away if I need to. Okay. Well, look, here's the deal, Anthony,
3: right now, just between me and you, um, I'm, I'm doing a Tolkien class, you know, in August, um, called Tolkien heads. Yes, I do make a, a, a parody graphic of the talking heads album cover with the color over their faces and put, like, Gandalf and stuff behind it and put color over their faces. Very
1: nice. Yeah. I, I approve. Doing class
3: with a bunch of Tolkien scholars just so there are people that are interested in me talking about Tolkien so that I can talk with my other scholar friends about the TV show. So I need you to talk to me about the show before you quit uh, watching
1: okay. it. Okay. Well, I will come on. I If you want me on, I will come on. We will talk about it. No. I,
3: do I want you on? I do want you on. That I wouldn't have brought it up. Uh-huh. If I didn't.
1: Yeah. All right. I, I'm, like I said, I feel like... But if you don't like it, you might only get five <laughs> minutes. You know what I mean? Like, if you start complaining,
3: I'm no, be like, I don't Anthony. think
1: complaining is, is good podcasting. And so I try to find, you know, the beauty in... It's almost like listening to a sermon for me. I feel like because of my... Mm. What about your student's sermon? The first time mm-hmm. they preach and they say... Anthony, could you come? I feel like for me, because of my line of work, it's really hard to listen to a sermon and not like destroy it. So I've had to train yeah. myself to not be destructive. <laughs> and <laughs> Good yeah, job. so I just try to find like the one the one positive thing that I can take away. So I actually I think it served me well with things like House of the Dragon. Game of Thrones, things like that I feel like I'm able to kind of go in and and look for the beauty and you know I'll talk a little bit about the things I had problems with too but I all, I, I think that for the most part um, I would rather talk about the stuff that I liked rather than sort of dwell mm-hmm. on the stuff that I didn't like.
3: you know the, um, the that experience which you know not a lot of people have had uh, probably listening. If you teach in theological education, right, yeah. especially master's degrees, these are people that are doing the degree to be mm-hmm. trained to lead a congregation, and then you go see them preach, That that's a scary moment because you, you know. That these individuals felt called in some sense to steward a wisdom tradition and then a community of followers and they're giving their life to it. And then they sit up there and they're preaching a sermon, probably trying to to communicate to the people something they, they really believe and want to give their life to in a compelling way. And then you, the professor, sitting there going. That is a horrible exegesis <laughs> of Romans. There's, there's like just completely wrong. Now I know you believe, and yeah, okay, that's a good idea here, but it's just bad. And then you had that moment where you go, "I'm also critiquing myself. How good am I at my job? If this is what my students are doing, you know, it's a, uh, it's really painful." Well,
1: I think I'm helped a little bit in this regard because a lot of my students come from the black preaching tradition, uh-huh. and so they're up doing something that I don't know how to do. right? <laughs> yeah. Like, even if I tried to stand in a, a pulpit at a black church, I could not pull off what they can pull off, rhetorically speaking. Mm-hmm. So I just – a lot of times I'll just sit there and just appreciate – The aesthetic you side. Know, with, with a little bit of – yeah, with a little bit of holy envy. Like, like oh, that's – that's an interesting approach to this particular problem. I wouldn't have done it and I probably shouldn't try to do it because it's just not my culture. But Mm -hmm. I I do know, I I think I can sit there and sort of divorce myself from my critical apparatus. Although I'm not sure how we got on this. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: look look but no it it was about um how you deal with things you love and that you've prepared as a scholar um to to be able to appreciate sermons even though you know you can deconstruct them as a as a professional and an academic you can learn to appreciate them in different ways and that you might
1: have to pull out that hermeneutic same thing with stand-up comedy like i can sit there and think that bit was funny that bit wasn't funny right yeah in addition to all of that, I know that I couldn't do what that person's doing. Yeah. So I appreciate what they're doing on stage rhetorically.
3: What about what about when the bald move boys keep podcasting about The Walking Dead, even though it's horrible? <laughs> See, that is a... Like, I couldn't do that. that. To would, me, like,
1: That is that is the most beautiful gesture of faith that I've ever seen. Because it's like they're devoted to something that they know deserves deconstruction. <laughs> so, I you know, again, beauty. I, I I try to capture a little bit of beauty here and there. So, trip, we're looking at Tyrion's final POV chapter in the first book. Um you you're a little bit like Tyrion, aren't you? I don't know. Well, thank you. <laughs> I didn't know how you were going to respond to that. You could take that in a number of ways, but do you feel a certain affinity to the to Tyrion as a character?
3: Well, um, you know, I don't. I don't know. Really, want to share everything I've shared with my therapist about sure. uh, feeling like the overlooked son until things get. Uh, a serious, serious quagmire, and you realize your prized son might be dying and his twin sister, who he had incest with, uh, uh, make uh, the new king, is doing a horrible job, and at last resort, you realize that there's the short but overlooked drinking and thinking, wise one, in your midst, and you feel like you must finally leverage the, the hidden gem of your family. Um,
1: they, they, if I was to give details about
3: those parts of the uh, identifying with them. it'd get weird
1: um, no if i i feel but, uh sympathy for your therapist for sure okay okay Cause
3: plus i'm uh. not gonna pay you
1: <laughs> so i i don't want to
3: burden you with that story but no i do i do um i i, I one of the reasons i love the yeah. game of throne books is the, the the different chapters take the different yeah. povs and then it tells you and it owns it like it, in in, in Lord of the Rings, you always have a POV, a person that's functioning there, but it's almost always the least knowledgeable character so that you're learning the yeah. world with them. And one of the things that uh, in Game of Thrones is that the POV character uh, is often uh, very informed and 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 giving you insights to the game of Thrones as being played as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, using the kind of ignorance of the character as a device for communicating to the audience. Yeah, it's interesting. The, uh, I,
1: yeah, there is absolutely that. I think that um, you know Martin will do a, a couple little literary tricks where he'll bring a character from the north to the south so that you can kind of see see the south through yeah. a northern eyes or you know you could you know bring cat to the north. I think that Tyrion's the character in all of these books he's he's almost always the smartest guy in his chapter Mm -hmm. so like with even with like Bran or Arya or Jon or Ned or Kat you almost get the sense that there are other characters in this chapter that might see things differently and I might trust that character a little bit more right it's like whenever Littlefinger's in a Ned chapter I'm thinking "Well, what is Littlefinger thinking because cause I feel like I would trust Littlefinger's take on this whole scenario more than I would Ned. With Tyrion, I would almost trust Tyrion more than any other person in his chapters to tell the story that's going on around him. Do
3: you think that part of it is um, Tyrion's own experience and in, in place within his family, which also puts him in a certain place within uh, the, all the, you know, Uh, battles for power uh, that show up uh, leads him to have uh, empathy for a whole host of characters that over the time, you know, over the the long story uh, have more and more uh, prime. Yeah, it
1: could be that for sure. I also feel like there's a little element to Tyrion where he has trained himself to observe everything Mm -hmm. because he has realized that if I'm going to survive in this world, I need to suss out danger, sniff out danger, whether it's political or, you know, actual. I need to sniff out the political pitfalls of every room I go into. And and he's talented at doing it. So I, I think that there's something about being raised a dwarf in Martin's world that mm-hmm. has sort of given him the superpower of observation.
3: Yeah. Now, now... Um... And I know you have a you, you just have a strict form here, Anthony. We're starting to derail from it because I had a, th- a thought. If we're, we're allowed to chase the mm. comedy bit,
1: all right, let me um, let me read the uh, the synopsis and then we can talk more about. That.
3: I know. I just want to apologize to all your regular listeners. I listen, and I know <laughs> other guests aren't this rude and derail things. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just like talking to Anthony, and then he asked about Tyrion, and I realized since we moved. I haven't seen the uh-huh. therapist, in. in. <laughs> okay, here's yeah.
1: my synopsis. Tywin Lannister and his lords meet at a war council in the inn at the crossroads. He listens to the accounts of the Battle of Whispering Wood. Then he hears his lords argue about what to do next. When Sir Harris Swift suggests that they sue for peace, Tyrion shatters his wine cup on the floor. He thinks that war was insured when Joffrey cut off Ned's head. They argue some more. This is when Tywin shouts, They have my son! For the second time, Tywin clears the room, save Kevin, Lannister, and Tyrion. Tywin explains that Renly has declared himself king, and that Stannis is patiently waiting. But Stannis might be the most dangerous person of all comers. Then Tywin orders a change in management. Tyrion will serve as Hand of the King and keep Joffrey in line. He is commanded by his father not to bring Shay to court. Then Tyrion returns to bed where Shay is waiting. He decides to take Shay to King's Landing. So, Trip Fuller, what do you want to talk about? Shall we talk about a character, a plot point, a theme, or shall you and I climb the Ladder of Chaos?
3: Ooh, okay. Now, I, I want to do a theme. Good. I want to do a theme. I love themes. I want to do a theme. The theme um, I, I want to talk about is all the family, the game within the family. In this, in this chapter, you see how the Game of Thrones runs into, like, just all the family system toxicity yeah. of the Lannisters with their big picture that they have of themselves like their cherished self image is running up against the reality mm. of the, the Jamie and Tyrion and, and, Cer- and Cersei and Joffrey like all their character uh, flaws the ways in which they they don't trust their all that kind of stuff is like brewing this toxic storm that is also generating right, this giant uh, st- storm in the yeah. big Game of Thrones but I'd, lo- I'd love to hear it, from you, like, like, what do you see going on, just in that mm-hmm. family dynamic of the of the five Lannisters that are or either present or spoken of in the in the chapter?
1: Yeah, that? I was thinking a lot about Jamie in this chapter, and I think that there is kind of a brilliance to the way Martin has constructed the family. So mm-hmm. there's no doubt that Tywin has the most power, right? I, I I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I mean, that. you could say he's the most powerful man in the kingdom. I think that that would be disputed. But in the family, absolutely, Tywin has the most power. And yet, he's got this major weakness. Tywin's major weakness is that he's got all of his eggs in the Jamie basket. And mm-hmm. so... Rob has attacked the Jamie basket. He's captured the, the the Jamie basket, and so the Tywood has to kind of look around at the, the the wreckage of his life at that point, and think, okay, if I don't have Jamie, what am I what am I working with here? You know, my my grandson is is uh, a yeah. psychopath teenage king. My daughter is trying to command, rule the kingdom through her son. I don't trust her. I've got this lecherous hedonist in Tyrion. And how do I manage all of this? How how do I come out on top when the thing that I most trusted my legacy in is now captured? And I think that you can kind of, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun because Tywin's a really smart guy and he's sort of scrambling to figure out what to do with the wreckage of his yeah. life.
3: Even if you think of, there are a couple killings, uh, in mentioned, uh, one, you get, uh, Tyrion talking about, well, you know, if you cut, if you cut a Stark's head off, you, you can't like, oh, let's sue for peace. Like you right. already picked a war because you have yeah, hot head yeah. over there. Um, you know, Jaime, um, the Kingslayer, is, uh, created conditions where he thought he was coming into power. Right, So in some sense, there's these connections where when Lannisters overstep their hand, just like, you know, even the pursuit here that right. gets Jamie captured, uh, it creates problems. And then what is Tyrion's, like, dig at his dad? Uh, hey, you remember Robert Baratheon? <laughs> well, uh, Rhaegar Targaryen's yeah. still dead. <laughs> Uh think like underneath it is like, like you're uh-huh. leading this family and you're turning to me. And I basically all the other ones that you would like to trust first kind of, yeah, kind of suck. They're not doing very good. And now you're stuck with me. And he forces his dad, um, to call him a son. Right. So you, you, you mentioned twice, uh, you get, they have my son, you know? And, uh, and, and then he, and then Tyrion's mm-hmm. pressing him like dad, like, why do you want me to go? The sure. hand of the king, because you are my son, and we, we know that that, that was a uh, a uh, the the subtext of that the the kind of shots you have to get if you're filming it of their faces is a dad yeah. begrudgingly calling the son his son, and I just think that that all that in there, like they're playing the game of thrones, and then underneath it, so much of what. The whole kingdom is stuck wrestling with the violence and death that ensues is, is, is all tied up in this uh, this one particular yeah. family who can't even figure out how to be like slightly above <laughs> average as a family. All
1: right, I got I got a question for you about this. All right. So Tyrion is being sent to court to rule. Right. And t- and he asked his father why. He says, why not send Kevin? Why not send one of your other lords? Why not send a bigger man? Do you think that Tyrion, I guess this is my first question. Do you think that Tyrion is just trying to get his father to say, like, I'm sending you because you're my son. Or do you think he honestly, like, what are you thinking? Like, you've never trusted me with anything. Why would you send me? Do you think he's just trying to get him to say the words, or do you think he's earnestly doesn't know what's going to come out of his mouth next? Well, see, uh,
3: uh, here's the way I read it. Now you have me questioning myself, and I I only do that once a year. So um, I I read it this way, like um, he wanted him to admit, he wanted his dad to admit Mm -hmm. that he needed him. And ultimately, all the other options, right, he's giving out. Tywin doesn't really trust them because what, what is it that he really wants? He wants the next generation of Lannisters to, to perform the idea he has of what it means to be a Lannister and that as, as wealth and power and control. And he wants, he wants, he wants his son to do it because he knows even if he hates him, he loves his brother. And he loves his sister, and they have these complicated relationships. But he's in so he knows his son has got this these primal wounds that he just wants his dad, his brother, and sister to, to to show some recognition and validation of him. And and he and he knows he's learned what it means to be a Lannister. And if given the power, he's like, "You've been watching and learning, and I, I I'll never give it to you." So I, I, that's how I heard as this uh. This going like, you know what it means to be a Lannister. I know you know how to do this. So if I let you do it, you can you, mm-hmm. you can rock it. And he also knows that he's going to show back up there and he's going to take the role. And the, do you want to go make Hand of the King one of these other people who might be a little dis- depressed when they have to take a step back? But he's already trained Tyrion. If daddy comes calling for your power or sending mm-hmm. your whore away or whatever... Daddy's going to do what daddy's going to do, and you're
1: going to get over it because you should just be glad I didn't kill you. You know, that. <laughs> now, here's the other thing I was thinking I'm not sure, and I don't think that there's anything that would make me certain about this, but I feel like I am not sure what Tywin really believes about Tyrion's parentage. I think that there's a part of him that wonders, is this really my son? Um,. I think that there's a part of. Because he's confident in how his seed rolls. Maybe. I don't know what Tywin thinks. I don't know whether he's thinking, well, this is the best I can do because my other son is, you know, captured, or whether he thinks this is the one guy I know that will not take Cersei's shit. You know he, mm-hmm. he he's he's gonna go. I, I man, I need I need someone to tell Cersei that she you know that she she's been doing it wrong. Yeah. Plus, if he sent one of the other people, they're gonna be like, "Well, your dad said," and she's like, "My dad," you uh-huh. know. But if he says, yeah. "Dad said," it's like brother yes. and sister, and yeah, they they know. know each other well enough. They can kind of sniff through all of the bullshit. Cersei would know that if that if if Tyrion's
3: lying he's dead. He's <laughs> sure. like dad's been looking for a reason, you know. So. Well, and I think
1: yes, that's right. And I think that Cersei was as shocked as anyone about what Joffrey ended up doing to Ned. Uh I think she knows that the boy's out of control and of course Tyrion is really good at slapping Joffrey. Yeah. Like so good that you could have a montage. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I think that there's something about Tywin where he's, he. it's very possible that he's saying, you're my son, because he feels like I need to push that button to get this creature to do this action. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. he's totally manipulative in that way. It's also could be true that he's thinking, well, this may be the best I got. Because, because and I think that that's how Tyrion reads it at the end of the chapter. He has this little um, moment, and I'll go ahead and read it because I own a copy of the book. Um, <laughs> it says, <laughs> What if you were like, I would read it, but I've actually don't I have it. I lent my copy. Out. All right. Um, uh, that is when he knew you have given him up for lost, he thought, you bloody bastard. You think Jamie's as good as dead, so I'm all you have left. That is how Tyrion yeah. interprets his father's actions. And I don't know whether they're misfiring, if this is really what Tywin thinks. Um but Because you don't get confirmation. You don't get confirmation, and I think that Tyrion does not know what to do with his father's praise. I think you got you almost get the sense. This is the first nice thing that Tywin's ever said to Tyrion, <laughs> right? Which, in mm-hmm. in and of itself, is totally dysfunctional, right? No, doesn't
3: it? Doesn't Tywin from there go to try to get Jamie back? Isn't that where he?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that he decided. That's why he doesn't want to go to court, right? So, so that's why I I took that as. As uh,
3: the Tywin actually is going to try to get his son back, so he doesn't really think he's dead, or you know, up for good. That's how Tyrion sees it, because he's like mm-hmm. the only way he would ever do this is if he's mm-hmm. dead. But, but here's here's the, you tell me what you think of this. This is the other element that made me read it that way. Um, what are the two demands after giving this task to Tyrion? Uh, one, Daddy comes in, he has his wine but untouched, so he's like Tyrion, I don't. I'm going to give you a job, but you see this cup? It has wine in it. I'm not drinking out yeah, of it. Sure. Don't be a glutton and a drunkard right now. And then don't take your whore to court. All right? Here's, here's like, you got the brains. You obviously don't have the body and the good looks of your dad. But uh, you got the brains here. You got the name. So what I need you to do is probably not day drink and hang out with a whore. Yeah. And then you can fill in for me for a little bit. That's, so that was my, like when I was trying to debate whether he knew or not and like what his dad intended and whether his interpretation was accurate, I saw this as like, I see, yes, you have the ability. I need you not to drink. Don't take the whore. Come on.
1: All right. On. I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to um, bring up an email that I got from a very astute listener named John. Hi, John. So John T., if you're listening, this is this is you. We're talking about you. No, this is not John M. No, no. Your email didn't get selected, <laughs> sorry, bud. Sorry, John. John suggests, and this is sort of next level three-dimensional chess stuff. Ooh. He suggests that Shay is actually a Tywin plant all along. All along. And he knows that if he says, oh. don't take that whore to court, that the, what his letter son is absolutely going to do, is take Shay to court, oh. and that will allow Tywin to keep an eye on Tyrion. Um, now, all of this is conjecture, but here's what we do know: at some point, Shay does become a Tywin creature, right? Yeah. And so we so then the question is, when does this happen? And John suggests, well, isn't wouldn't it be an interesting way to read the story if? This was a problem from like the very beginning. Ooh.
3: Okay. I think I like that. I I liked it makes it makes the ultimate uh what spoiler warning, death mm-hmm. of Tywin even even cooler. If you know, it wasn't just this kind of betrayal at the end kind uh-huh. of thing. But he'd been being tooled with all the time. Right. But it also, it's bad. can sense uh, my identification with Tyria. Like I got so maybe I'm maybe I, maybe maybe what my therapist needs to talk to is John, <laughs> and realize <Yeah.
1: laughs>
3: that what I thought was like an invitation <laughs> to really have the identity of son is just part of a a deep deep manipulation, and everyone around me. Is a so part I
1: don't I don't know what to think about this. I feel like. I do want to believe that Tyrion and Shay actually have this earnest love relationship at some point. You know? It, yeah. Cause it, and do you think I'm like in, in rereading, I think
3: the, the, the genuineness of the love comes through more in the TV show than in the, in the book.
1: Yeah. It, it very well could be. I think a lot of people don't like the way that Shae was portrayed in the TV show. But I think that they do some interesting things with her character. And I almost feel like... I, I, now I'm, I'm struggling with whether or not I prefer to see one of my favorite characters actually have love. Or whether I want to see one of my favorite books have another level of complication. Because if Shay is always in the bag for Tywin... Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily negate the fact that she falls in love with him. It very well could be that that she's 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 a complex creature as well. Yeah, um, could be that. Yeah, I'm a spy. I I actually am, am still in love with you in the same way that John is in love with Yegor, even though he's a spy, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So again, it's it's a theory. It's 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 going to be hard to prove this because. Shay is dead and Tywin's dead, right? So yeah. how will we ever know? Do you,
3: I, think, um, I think John needs a t-shirt. Do you give t-shirts out to high-quality
1: emails? John gets a t-shirt. <laughs> John, uh, I don't create t-shirts anymore, so I'll just send you one of my old t-shirts. And hopefully it fits. It, won't, it has sweat stains. He uses it a lot when mowing. <laughs> Do you just always keep an air horn around just in case you need to praise someone that needs a t-shirt?
3: I got this new uh, contraption, and it has a it has a soundboard on it. Um, the, <laughs> when my Zoom recorder broke, I got a pod track mm-hmm. Zoom, and it has sound effects. So they're just sitting there, and you know, I, I thought I did pretty good the first 30 minutes
1: we were talking. But Show me one effect that you feel like, when would I ever get a chance to use this effect? Well, the 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 air horn works good if you're you mention the
3: Clegane Bowl, right? Like that's that's what the. But yeah. but when they're fighting, you play this one. Yeah, Game of Thrones. See, you don't use that one if you're talking about rings of power. No, you can't. And you don't use this one when you're talking about rings of power either. Because you know what Tolkien never puts in his books, a discussion like when uh, Tyrion walks in and. Uh, cups of breast and notes when the nipple gets no, on. you'd
1: have to go to Board of the Rings for that. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know what that is. because I'm. Oh gonna... gosh, you don't know Board of the Rings? I was preserving my witness. All right, so, <laughs> all right, so I feel like I've got this wonderful moment to tell a hardcore Tolkien fan about a parody called Board of the Rings, and it is very it's it's funny, but it's also very body you know you've got hobbits and elf queens sort of getting mm-hmm. it on and whatnot and um it's it's worth it's absolutely Ooh. worth uh looking at so and you're saying this was actually the real inspiration for Game of Thrones. <laughs> I can guarantee you martin's read, board of the Rings I think it was like... written by one of the Harvard lampoon guys um I'm not positive about that. Mm -hmm. I have to go check that. But anyway, it is a parody. It's totally worth it. Um, I do want to mention one other thing about this chapter. Okay. Yeah, do it. So we've talked about Shay. The mountain actually gets a speaking role in this chapter. I was kind of shocked when I saw it. It's like, oh, the mountain can talk? (laughs) Um, All the eyes. (laughs) Here's what he says. Yes, he's like, a man who sees nothing has no use for his eyes. The mountain declared, cut them out and give them to your next outrider. Tell him you hope that four eyes might be better than two. And if not, the man after him will have six. It's like, when did you learn how to speak? Number one. (laughs) (laughs) Number two. (laughs) This is horrific. This is just the first (laughs) thing that he says. You know, it's like I, I, I decided to speak up just in this moment to give you my little theory on how to manipulate outriders to do their job by popping eyeballs out and giving them to the next guy. Yeah, I.
3: It, but you have to admit, though, just for his branding purposes, it really is like a good thing to say when you open your mouth. Like if you're trying to keep your mountain status, then you hear this and he's like, oh, look, mm-hmm. you know what Taiwan's thinking. He's probably going to go rape and pillage and stuff. And I, I probably can't outdo those numbers because I can't
1: command. But you know what he can do? Pull eyeballs out. All right. Uh, notable introductions in this chapter. I don't know. Do we Have we heard about Marjorie Tyrell before this chapter? Because I think that she might be introduced I for did, the first time. I didn't
3: know chapter. if it was the first time she was mentioned. But Justin, like, it is big yeah. about the marriage.
1: Yeah, The uh, we absolutely have the introduction to... The marriage between Renly and Marjorie, for sure. Vargo Hote is mentioned in this chapter. Notable departures: the the innkeep is swinging from a, a hangman's line. Yeah. Uh So. So farewell to the innkeep. Um, differences between the show and the books. I was interested in this line where Tyrion says, um, "You know." This is in response to him saying, you are my son. And he's like, you old bastard, you've given up my brother for dead. Mm-hmm. I kind of read that show Tyrion a little bit differently. I kind of felt like when he says, you're my son, it's almost this look of bashful pride on on mm-hmm. Tyrion's face. Like, I can't believe he actually said some, something nice to me. I didn't get the sense that like he was quietly judging his father in the show. So uh, again, subtle, but it actually is quite a big difference for the this particular character's motivation. I definitely think the
3: because of the way the the death of Tywin plays in the show, people people mm-hmm. will, would resonate more with the ultimate betrayal by Tywin of uh, Tyrion and um and be like, "Oh, I yeah, shoot that fool while he's taking a dump. Uh, yeah. If 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 Tywin, it was understood of given Tyrion this little
1: bit of hope, that you know there is some love there. Right, right. I I think yeah, it's, mm, it's even then it's maybe like can you really trust it? Right, so. But yeah, I'm not sure that trust is a category Lannister sure, use. Sure.
3: Um, the the, uh, the one thing we haven't mentioned that I think is funny mm-hmm. in this chapter is the discussion of getting on a boat in the middle of a battle in full armor, <laughs> and <laughs> and, yeah. and Tyrion being like, you know, basically like, what what a dumb dude. He oh, this drowned. guy is, totally deserves to die. Yeah. It, it it makes me think of those uh those little Bits at the end of GI Joe episodes, yeah, you know. One to where, grow like, on. Snake Eyes sh- shows up and he's <laughs> like, "These kids are like, wow, it's a down power line that's making light. Let's play lasso with it." <laughs> and Snake Eyes is like, "Don't touch down power lines." And they're like, "Why? Well, you're get burned and die." And they're like, "And knowing is half the battle." GI Joe, like yeah. <laughs> a similar thing. It's like, "Are you in a battle? Are you going across water towards your enemy mm-hmm. wearing giant metal suit?" <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I just want to get there fast and fight. Don't do it. You could drown. And no one is half the battle.
1: <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that's really good. Okay. Well, I dude, I totally appreciate. it. All right. So, how do people find you if they want to hear more Trip Fuller? How do people find the uh the your Tolkien class?
3: So, I mean, they can go to tripfuller.com trip with two p's and uh find the podcast "Homebrewed christianity i do lots of classes and stuff if you're into philosophy theology religion type things but we're the next big one is called tolkien heads and if you go to tolkienheadpod.com you can uh, uh join up and it, you you get to interact with uh some like super tolkien uh academics and then we got four yeah honest lectures. to
1: goodness Internationally known Tolkien scholars, written major books, won awards for these books. And not just one, not just two. Three legit Tolkien scholars in this class. So you're gonna, absolutely going to get your money's worth for this. Well, but I'd also say it's donation based and
3: includes zero because like, you can give money if you want but you don't have to. So if people just want to go check out the things. They're more than welcome to Um Tolkien heads or TolkienHeadPod head pod.com. Any, but yeah, if you go to my website, I'm sure you'll find it. And uh, at some point, at some point before you quit watching rings of power, uh, we're, we're going to have you on to talk about it because um, I, as the optimist in this <laughs> duo, <laughs> I think that by the end of the second episode you will use both of your eyes when watching. You're not gonna have one closed. I hope
1: you're right, man. I absolutely hope you're right about that. Um and and uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally down. Totally down to, to participate in whatever way you think that I might be useful.